We got that hope lit. There it is. Good morning, A3. Morning, morning, morning. Hey, you know, we'll talk about this coat in a minute. It's just a prop. Don't, don't, don't start wearing coats to church, please. This is just a prop. But I have a couple of quick announcements to go over before we get into the message. Uh, first and foremost, I wanted to make sure our middle schoolers got dismissed to, to middle school time. Uh, secondly, I want to say thank you to the worship team this morning. Great job. It was beautiful, beautiful worship. Uh, Pastor Lori is, and we're just communicating this to everyone, so there's nothing to be miscommunicated about. She'll be entering into sabbatical time at the start of the new year. So we're going to start communicating that to the whole congregation so all the great rumors can start flowing, okay? Because you need something to be to gossip about, right? So she'll be heading for a well-deserved and well-earned sabbatical, and we're going to bless her and pray for her as she heads out that way. Uh, but want to start communicating that now. So first quarter 2022, Pastor Lori will be on and thankful for an abundance of talent, an abundance of riches we have here in our worship at E3. And then in relation to that, there's this thing called Christmas coming up, right? Christmas Eve services will be 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock. 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock, so plan accordingly. And we're working on getting some, even some child care this Christmas. So parents in the room, say amen. There it is. All right, we're good, we're good. You've pointed out that I look sharp, and I do look sharp. I will take the compliment. But this can only mean one thing. It is time for, friends, Bible Jeopardy. If you remember from last time, and no fighting in the room, friends, okay? This is my dad face. No fighting the other team. The middle pole right here is the dividing team. This is team whatever your name is, and this is team is whoever your name is, okay? We have the opportunity to answer numerous categories, and here they are. The first category is Mark. The second category is math. Why are you laughing? <laughs> it's... And then lastly, we have, of course, Christmas. Now, Bible Jeopardy always relates to the sermon in a roundabout way, so this is a little bit of fun, a little bit of post-Christmas, post-Thanksgiving, excuse me, too much turkey in our bellies, we're so sleepy, so let's have some fun and answer. First team to shout out the correct answer, I will just go with. Now, I do have the hearing of a 98-year-old man, so sorry if I'm wrong, but just go with it, okay? I will go forward to whoever shouts the loudest and the most clear answer, so just don't scream, okay? Screaming is not an answer. Uh, if we have a, a judgment error, we will be looking to our online community, so online community I will throw it to you, and we have about a four-minute delay, so the score at the end could be adjusted. Now, in the room, we have to have somebody to start. So, Carl Green, which category would you like, sir? Christmas. We're going with Christmas. All right. We're going down the row. We do not jump around like real Jeopardy. Jeopardy is meant to go one, two, three, four, okay? Those who jump around, that's crazy. We don't do that, okay? So we're going 100, 200, 300, 400. Whoever answers first, I just know I'll go to the 200, 300, 400. Then whoever gets the 400 will go to the next category. All right, here we go. Christmas for 100. This item causes Frosty the Snowman to come to life. What is his hat? Thank you for answering the form of a question. Well done, whoever your team is. 100 points for you. Let's go to Christmas for 200. In Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, this is Scrooge's first name. Oh, so close, whatever your team is. Whoever your team is, well done, 200 points on that. Christmas for 300. Thanksgiving is over. Now, what modern-day country was St. Nicholas actually born? What is Germany? Is incorrect. There was a time limit on that. Doot, doot, doot. The answer is, what is Turkey? What is Turkey? 
You see, the, the, see I, I said, Thanksgiving is over. What? Yeah, yeah. It's okay, it's okay. Nobody gets the points. I'm sorry for Lori. I, I, I love you dearly. I just had to make it fun, okay? Uh, 400. This is a traditional hymn played at the end of a Charlie Brown Christmas. Well done, Carissa Martin. 400 points for whoever your team is. What is Hark the Herald Angels Sing? I did not give her the answer. Let it be known. Let it be said. The only ones who know the answers are our tech team in the back and our uh, tech team. Yes, here we go. Carissa, you get to pick the next category. Math. Math. Math for 100. What is the square root of 169? Amen. Thank you for coming today. <laughs> oh, okay. I guess that's not over yet. I know it. These are supposed to be impossible, I thought. For 200, what is the law of large numbers? <laughs> doot, doot, doot. It is, the answer is, what is, as the numbers grow, they gravitate towards the mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. For 300... <laughs> For 300, if one side of a right triangle is five and the other side is 12, what is the longest side of length? Well done. What is 13? Well done. Running away with the math category. Now, the fun part about this is, is the next category is a video daily double. You have, there it is, sound effect. A little late, but it still came through. I love it. All right. This next category will only be for whoever your team name is. What is your wager? Uh, two daily double, obviously. Okay, obviously two daily double. You don't help them out. Just stay quiet. Zone out for a minute. Talk, think about turkey. Over here, you have the time of the Jeopardy theme song to answer the next slide. Are you ready? Get set. Go. Just throwing out random numbers now, right? Yeah. All right. This is the famous Facebook question. I hate these so much. They come up in my feed. All right. So let's just go through it real quick. You got the bottom there. Order of operations. So we got the, the milkshake that's 10 times only one of those was 10 plus five, the answer is what is 15? What is 15? I said, do not be violent in, in, in Bible Jeopardy. We, we, we did hear the what is 15. Uh, we'll throw it to the online crowd. Okay, so online audience, if you heard what is 15, it's your job to throw the entire game into a ride. Let's go to Mark for 100, just for fun. Uh, while Mark is the name of this book, the likely source was this disciple. While Mark is the source of this book, this is likely the name of the actual source disciple. 
Doot, doot, doot. The answer is Peter. Who is Peter? Peter. For 200, Mark, this type of tree is cursed as Jesus enters Jerusalem. Ooh, ooh, just barely over here. Well done over here. 200, good job. 300, feeling lucky. Jesus does two feedings in Mark. This is how many basketfuls they pick up after feeding 4,000. What is seven? Well done. What is seven? Well done. Feeling lucky, lucky number. And then lastly, for 400, when King Herod hears of Jesus, he believes that this specific phenomena has occurred. Close, close. Say it again. Close. This, uh, sorry, this is King Herod in Mark, not a King Herod in the other birth stories. Du, du, du. What does he believe? John the Baptist has been risen from the dead. Uh, of course, of course. Well done, everyone. Round of applause for everybody in the room. We will check back in online in a moment. But right now, this is time for Pastor Scott to change costumes because this is like 2,000 degrees. Here's where we're at. We're in the book of Mark. We're in The Outsiders. And The Outsiders is a sermon series trying to help everyone understand what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a part of this kingdom of God. And The Outsiders, as a sermon series, struggles because some of us believe we're insiders and we're actually outsiders. And then many of us in the room are like, I'm an outsider. I failed Church 101. I got zero out of zero on the Bible Jeopardy. I'm going to check back here and make sure you didn't have a, a copy of the sermon, just so you all know, okay, after the, the sermon. No, I'm just kidding. Here's the cool thing, is that outsiders should reorient all of us and who is in the kingdom of God. And that's the beauty of it. We can have a little fun doing it even. And this, category, this passage we're going to get into today in Mark chapter 12 will be a reorienting chapter for everybody in the room, I promise. Now, we're getting into the place where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And the interesting part about this is that there's some awkwardness among numerous people who are listening to this parable. Now, just think for a moment, what is the most awkward moment maybe of your life? The most embarrassing moment of your life is what I'm looking for. For me, the most embarrassing moment comes to 42nd and J in Lincoln, Nebraska as a young 24 and a half year old. I'm engaged to the most beautiful woman in the world. Thank you. And as I'm getting into a new apartment, I am the first time living on my own in a two-bedroom apartment. I mean, that's so much room for a young man, right? So I have my bedroom and I have my gaming room. Amen? Yes. Now, what's cool about this is, is that I am unemployed and I am looking for employment in this moment. And I'm watching what every person who's looking for employment does. We watch the prices right, right? Yeah, everybody watches it, 10 to 11 on CBS or whatever it is. And as I'm watching, I'm just sitting back saying, okay, this is cool. I'm, I got all these applications out, this pre-internet really searching. So I'm sending written applications. And I'm like, I need a break. So I go out on my deck. And in January, in this place called Nebraska, it's like 72 and sunny. <laughs> just kidding. It's 14, and there's three or four inches of snow on the ground, okay? I'm on the third story of this building here. Look at the screens real quick, Okay. Now, that's a, that's a pretty summer picture of Nebraska. It is not like that. It is brown and dreary and gray and awful. And I'm sitting on the third floor, and I shut the door behind me, and I just stretch my arms like, oh, it's so nice outside. And I turn around to go back inside, and the door's locked. <laughs> new place, new rules, no one inside. My lovely fiance is in class, and I don't know when she'll get off. I have no phone. And so I do what any average person would do. I start yelling help as loud as I physically can. Help, 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 help. With no help coming, I jump from the third floor, see at the top, 
down to that little overhang right above the entrance to the building. And I make it. And I'm like, okay, I'm still not dead. Game on. So I go from this, that little overhang down to my neighbor's apartment and I do what any person at that appointment would do because I have no shoes on and I am now freezing. I bang on their door, <laughs> which I'm sure if they're in there, they're not gonna open up to some strange guy with no shoes on, right? From there, I say, okay, all I have to do is get down from there. And I look down and the cold or something in my brain messes with my logic. And all of a sudden I say, it's, it's just like Looney Tunes. That snow will be like a blanket I'm gonna land on and break my fall. Surely this will work. And instead of, of course, lowering myself down on my arms and then letting go, I jump from the second floor down to the snow. It did not work. My shoes were as black as the stage. My feet, the bottom of my feet were as black as the stage on, I'm standing on right now. And I hobble back up the three sites of stairs, realizing that I made a horrible mistake, only to find that the third floor, my door is locked. So now I have to go back down and find the person who has the keys walking across the parking lot like this because the bottom of my feet hurt so bad and confessing to them the entire story. Two hours later, the person who has the key to my apartment finally shows up and says, wow, you're kind of like Spider-Man. <laughs> Most embarrassing moment of my life. We can all relate to those stories. We all have those stories where we realize, boy, I did something really ridiculous. I did something really amazingly not smart. And it's partly our fault, but it's partly just accidents that happen in general everyday life. We see that Jesus is speaking to a giant crowd in Jerusalem. This is his final week of life as he enters into the end of the Mark story. And he speaks in this parable and catch, when you have your hope placed in things that are not where they should be placed, you tend to be embarrassed. Starting at verse 1, chapter 12, verse 1 through 12. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it. He dug a pit and put a wine press and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another and that one they killed, he sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. Most of the land in Jesus' day and time were from absentee landowners. This is a normal occurrence. If an owner followed the Old Testament law from Leviticus, it would be five years after planting the vineyard, he would come and take some of the crop. It would be agreed upon between the tenants and the owner himself. So for five years, those tenants get all of the proceeds, and that's their payment. They didn't get a paycheck in the mail. It was literally what was in front of them that they had been cultivating, which made them want to be a part of the process. Again, it may be a fixed or stated amount, or it might be a percentage of the crop, whatever that crop was. Examples of land cared for by tenants and of leases between tenants and owners are well-known and actually found in archaeological digs. But tensions and conflicts between these two parties are also well-attested, down to arguing who got the twigs after pruning. Distant owners, lease agreements, and elaborate care for vineyards and wine are all documented. But the judicial system of that day often led for numerous requests of, judge, of justice. You didn't get a speedy trial. You got a trial whenever the judge decided to give you a trial. And so if this landowner would call for the law to come in, it would be probably longer 
and less successful than just sending servants over and over, which is why you see, even in ancient times, this is a well-known occurrence that this kind of thing would occur. But the parable is more than just a story about a possible dispute. I'm going to read Isaiah 5. We're going to put verse 1 back on the screens and listen and watch as you hear the similarities. This is from Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a good crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is a nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but he heard cries of distress. Now, it's fascinating is that as you hear these words from Isaiah, 700-odd years before Jesus speaks, this would immediately be like, oh, Jesus is speaking in this parable, but he's talking about Isaiah 5. And this is really the only time in the entirety of Jesus' parables where the listeners could immediately identify this comes from the Old Testament. Well, why is that important? Because numerous times when he speaks in parables, it's to create unclearness for both the listeners and his enemies who are in attendance. Here, he's taking a direct shot, saying, God is the owner of the vineyard, and he keeps sending people over and over and over, and they're either beaten or killed. You're killing the prophets, friends. You're killing those who I am literally sending. I'm calling out to say, you're doing wrong. Now, we see that this parable makes it so much more different than any other parable where the disciples coming back and asking for more information or the crowd's interested, but not really understanding the fullness of his teaching. It's a direct mark on the tenants, those chief priests, the teachers, and the other insiders in the Jerusalem hierarchy. But here it turns dramatically. Verse 6. He had one left to send, a son, whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. The son is not in the Isaiah passage. This is where everything changes and becomes unclear again what's being going on potentially. See, they expected a man Messiah, not a God man. So this story to turn in this way is dramatic, but also similarly mystifying. The insiders will kill this outsider? That's not the way the story is supposed to go. But Jesus has already told his inner 12 that he will die. He's told them three times. This turn in the story will also give them angst and worry that they might, who might be insiders, these disciples in his group, do not understand the full story and what Jesus is supposed to do. See, friends, the point is this. Hope can lead to embarrassment. When you put your hope in places where it does not belong, you get a little embarrassed. Great example. How many of you ever hoped in either one of the two big political parties? 
How many of you ever feel embarrassed by the work of your political party in your life? Yeah, you don't have to raise your hands. I just see you, yeah. Ooh, I don't want to admit that. Just like the average person with math, and not the mathematicians on this side of the room. I had hoped you had failed, honestly, all y'all. But you guys are good at math. Who knew? Just like an average person with math, or me hobbling across a Arctic parking lot tundra, these inside groups must realize that they may be embarrassed, humbled, and put outside by this God-man because their hope is not in Christ, a man in front of them, or the child we prepare for today. No, their hope is in something else entirely. And look at the response, verse 9. Verse nine. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and the Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parallel against them, but they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Jesus quotes Psalm 118, which is a beautiful psalm of praise and exaltation for the ancient Israelites. But these verses that he quotes here about the cornerstone show that it is God who uses the one that seems unable to provide salvation to provide exactly that salvation. See, this parable is primarily about response. Will people respond to the claims that God has on their lives or reject all the messengers in favor of their own selfish agenda? Will they live productively to produce fruit in this beautiful vineyard? The parable asserts and also offers the privilege of living in covenant relation with God but friends, privilege always brings responsibility. Those of you who like Spider-Man, power brings responsibility. No, privilege brings responsibility. Apart from living responsibly in obedience to God, that privilege cannot be retained. No community may presume the gifts are permanent possessions, but opportunities to live in life and relationship to God. The kingdom comes with limitless grace but also comes with demand. You cannot live in this vineyard. You cannot be the vines. You cannot be the taker carers of the vines themselves and not have some sort of responsibility in your own life. The parable is relevant for all, but its relevance for those in leadership is also prominent. Furthermore, this is a judgment parable. And here's the kicker. You may say, I'm not in a leadership position at a church. Yeah, you are. If you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and I expect that if you take an hour out of your day, three hours to get ready, four or five hours if you have kids, to invest this time in here, you are investing in your eternal salvation. Amen? You're a leader in that vineyard. You're a leader in everything that Jesus calls you to be and do. And so don't play the card saying, I just come and attend. No, 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 no. You come and attend and then take that attendance to every single facet of your life in family, in work, in everywhere you go. Even Saturday night or Friday night or Tuesday morning at 3 a.m. when your little kid won't sleep. How do you act and how are you producing fruit, fruit that will last? We must analyze our hearts 
as it relates to hope. So my question is, where is your hope, E3? We cannot assume by any stretch of the imagination that we are going to enter the kingdom because of anything that we've done. No, it comes from God, but our response to hope is to live as ambassadors of that hope. We can't just think that this candle is just some symbolic way of passing time. No, this means that hope is here lit inside our hearts. That's what Advent's all about. It's not about counting down to Christmas as I did as a child. I knew when this candle was lit, it's time to open presents as a kid. And I still get a little bit of joy out of that personally. But this candle represents Christ coming into a world that would reject him, that would say, we don't know you and throw him out of the vineyard. And instead of taking Christ out of our vineyard, symbolically, allegorically, we must embrace hope. Hope that is found in Christ and in nothing else. Friends, when our hope is rooted in Christ, let me be clear about this. We will not be embarrassed. We will not be as at math test at any age that we haven't studied for. We will not be a fool wandering through a parking lot. No, we will have riches in heaven beyond our wildest dreams, but they're not earthly riches, they're heavenly riches. We will become insiders in this kingdom of God and embarrass all other thoughts of getting there. But not as a know-it-all, as a servant, as one who comes in the name of Jesus Christ, expecting the fruit of the vineyard. Friends, our hope comes from Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time, a time to embrace and to wonder at the marvel it is that we have hope in the kingdom to come. And Lord, I pray that this hope will be placed in things that would last, not in treasures that moth and rust can destroy. No, eternal treasures that nothing can take away. And it is a hope that we can embrace and share with all that we come into contact with throughout our daily lives. Whether they be friends or enemy, neighbor or family, whether they be distant people, we have no idea how we came into contact with them. Lord, we hope that your Holy Spirit would make divine appointments and that during this Christmas season, a Christmas that is so rocked in our world by division, rocked in our world in a pandemic, rocked in our world by personal crises that we would be embarrassed to share, we pray that our hope would be put in something that will never embarrass us. And that is in the name and the eternity and the hope that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's in his name we lift up this song and we sing together, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Let us sing, amen.